listening to the Ed Reach Network. Ed Gamer, episode 151 on Ed Reach. Teacher Craft, how teachers learn to use Minecraft in their classroom. This is Ed Gamer for Tuesday, March 10th, 2015. Ed Gamer is part of the EdReach Network, edreach.us, giving education a voice. Jerry. <laughs> we didn't fill Sean in. We didn't fill Sean in. A big voice. Yeah. We've had Sorry, some... Sean, that was supposed to be your big voice. But we ran out of time. We've had some technical difficulties. This show is dedicated to education gaming on any platform. We will give you the education angle on any type of games, ranging from tabletops to MMOs. We will discuss how these games impact student learning and how they can be used effectively within the classroom. I'm Zach. And I'm Jerry. And we have Sean. Sean Dickers, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, last time I was here, I told you a little bit about myself, but I am a... Uh, former teacher. I was a middle school teacher for about 10 years, and then they lured me into the principal's office, and I ran a school for a little while and realized I liked teaching, so I went back to work with the, the wonderful Kurt Squire at, at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and studied with him. I guess at the end of the day, I was there for five years, and now I've landed as a researcher at Ohio University, and I study great teaching. Um, and that's so I've done two, three projects now where we've looked at just teachers doing unique and, and wonderful things in the classroom. So you never got away from the teaching, which is nice. You get you were smart. You went to the admin and you're just like, no, that's not me. They they actually let me teach in a couple courses now at the university too, which which is which is back to the classroom. And Very cool. Very cool. Jerry. Yep. Who are you, dude? My name is Jerry James, and I'm a visual arts teacher from Schaumburg, Illinois. And my name is Zach Gilbert, and I don't mess with anybody else's blurby. And I'm your host. <laughs> I'm a sixth grade social studies language arts teacher from Normal, Illinois. So we have some we have Sean on today. We have some news to share first, but Sean is going to talk about his his wonderful new book, and uh, I I've shared. I've shared it already, Sean, uh, and it's being well received. So we'll get to talk about that. But we do have some we do have some gaming news and some things that are going on. Um, Jerry, your game club. Yes. Game club is up and running every week. Doing a little bit of game, a little bit of anime, tossing in some magic. It's uh, it's fun. It's a good time. And uh, I have a new toy for my uh, game club uh, that I won last. Was it last week? It was last week ICE, <laughs> the Illinois Computing Educators mm -hmm. Conference. Yeah, it seems like I don't. I'm going to turn my. Oh, uh, what? You can see it on the couch there. Wow. Mindstorm Legos. So nice. very excited, and uh, we're we're trying to figure out. Uh, we want more kids to play some tabletop games, and so I think we're going to any kid that's going to play a tabletop game, their name gets put in a in a drawing, and then the next game club. Uh, we will uh, we'll draw names and see who gets to start building and creating with the Mindstorm Legos. Nice. Little incentive. Nice. Little incentive there. So very cool. So, yeah, I have Game Club uh, this Friday and Friday the 13th. 
And so uh, hoping to get about 50, 60 kids. So very cool. Very cool. Um, okay, sad news. Uh-oh. Uh. <laughs> Live long and prosper. I don't know. Did you guys, uh, Sean, are you a tre uh, Trekkie or a Trekker? I was a next generation guy. Any show that has a bald captain in it, I'm all over that. <laughs> so you like Deep Space Nine too, also? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Uh, so, yeah, so the, the, the Vulcans you were okay with just didn't get into uh, Spock as much. Well, I'm fine with Scott. It's just a little bit before my time. Next Generation hit right during college when yeah. we had entire dorms of people going down to watch the, the newest episode. Um, so it, it was just right in that time in my life where I had lots of time for Star Trek. <laughs> I remember watching Friends with my... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what kind of dorm you lived in. Uh, well, it was a uh, fraternity house, but that's okay. all. You know, we just didn't mind watching some of the characters on Friends. Jerry, did you have? Uh, <laughs> did you? Were you a Spock fan? Uh, pff, this is probably going to get me kicked off this podcast. Oh, just no, stop! I, you don't need to say anything. Move it on. I <laughs> never got into Star Trek. Star okay. Wars? Yeah, sure. But Star when, Trek. When he died in the nuclear reactor, didn't you get a little choked up? <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's about uh, saving. You know, uh, it's about saving. Uh, oh, what's the line? You know, sacrificing yourself to you know protect others. I, I messed up the line. What is the line? We'll look that up later. Okay, so we got, we're going to lose some friends. What's that? Had something to do with being friends. Yeah, there there's something <laughs> something in there. Hey, uh, ooh, so I have. Uh, my my wife has a friend who does a very cool Star Wars podcast, and he's part of Star Wars uh, in the classroom, and he's actually in Washington, Illinois, Jerry, which is west of me, so I guess it's still considered southern Illinois. Definitely. And, uh, so he's actually connected. His website is actually, I think, posted on Star's, Star Wars website. But this is, uh, can you see this okay? Nice. So his podcast is called Coffee with Kenobi. Isn't that cool? So, uh, which, and it reads down below, it reads, uh, this is the podcast you're looking for. So, very cool. So, I bought a t-shirt. There you go. Coffee with Kenobi. Very cool. And he does a lot with uh, using Star Wars within his classroom, which I think is very neat. So, I just wanted to throw that out to Dan Zare. Okay. Um, Hobbit VR hands-on. A Thief in the Shadows. So this is a virtual – I'm seeing more and more VR headsets because you had Oculus Rift, which you know got bought up by Facebook, and now I'm starting to see more and more headsets that are being produced by other companies. Um, and I'm not 100% sure, but this is, this is Oculus – this one is Oculus VR headset. Uh, but my, I showed this to my daughter, my youngest daughter, and she was all excited about being able to see Smog and The Hobbit in virtual reality. So we're seeing more and more of this. Is this, is VR virtual, Sean, do you see this something being added in the classroom, maybe down the road? I mean, it right now I think it's kind of difficult, but. Sean? You're stuttering a little bit for me. Zach. Sorry. 
Sorry. No, is, is, uh, do you think Oculus is something that uh, could be seen in the classroom? <laughs> well, you could see a classroom through it, but other people wouldn't really, you know, you, you know right now Oculus covers your face. Right. Um, so I don't know if it's the ideal technology for a room full of 30 people that would be then bumping into each other and hitting each other. But yeah. I want to see that. I want to see a room full of middle schoolers wearing Oculus Rifts and having some adult try to manage that. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be pure joy for me. There you go. <laughs> you know, from a, you're talking about using it in the classroom, but creating it actually is not that much more difficult because you're really just talking about two images. We do it with photography all the time, so actually the creation of it not as difficult as probably utilizing it in the classroom. So especially, Jerry, with you, know, you being in the digital arts, uh, having the kids actually create content for this would be actually pretty slick. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Uh, okay, uh, Invent a Game, which is from a uh, link from my friend Mike Jones. Uh, DIY, which is a great website. Mike and Jones from the Beastie Boys? No, Mike Jones, my friend from Bloomington uh, Junior High School. Gotcha. So these are, uh, you can earn badges by, you know, there's all different types of things. I, I know sometimes they have you do uh, like gardening and things like this. This one is more towards creating games. But it's not just, it's not really just digital games. It's, you know, make a new rule for tag, create a ball game, make a pen and paper game, uh, choose your own adventure, design a body game. So this is, I thought this was great for teachers maybe to come up with different ideas of game creation. So, pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. So there's that link. And uh, two more here. There's uh, one from 8-Ball, top historical eight uh, historical game series. Uh, Total Wars on there, of course, Age of Empires, Call of Duty, Civilization, which, duh, um, Red Dead. Some of these could be done in the classroom, some not so much. <laughs> Assassin's Creed, and, of course, Dysentery. Oregon Trail. Nice. And like I said, all these are going to be on our show links. The last one connects to that Oregon yes. Trail. Uh, somebody created, Joel Levin posted this out on Twitter, and I think tomorrow, 50 hours to go. So Ooh. this is Orion Trail. They are at 60. We're going to put them over the top, Jerry, because we always do. Yep. Right. And if not, you're going to donate the rest. I'll donate 20, the rest, yes. 22 grand it might be coming out of your Monopoly money, but you know, whatever. 22, there you go. Yeah, so this is, it's basically a science version of Oregon Trail. I think it's a pretty cool it's idea. It's kind of awesome. Yeah, and there's a picture down below that has somebody with, yeah, the some woman, mysterious illness. She has, like, green things coming out of her hand. It's kind of, go down a little bit further. Uh, Keep going. <laughs> There's right there, mysterious oh. illness. There's a girl that's got like green things coming out of her hands there. That's kind of... That's gross. Yeah, temporal wormhole. So, you know, those that know Star Trek know about wormholes, right, Sean? Yes, well, they, they, they know the word wormhole. I don't know <laughs> if they know what they look like. Or if it's actually, you know, space aliens that have created a pathway from uh, the Alpha Quadrant to the... the, the was a Delta Quadrant, I think that's what it was. Okay, showing my geekiness. <laughs> there we go. So that's the Kickstarter. It looks pretty cool. They're they're a little bit short, but maybe you know, Ed Gamer will put them over the top. <laughs> put them over the top. So, Sean, 
you, you just one day you decided, hey, uh, this Minecraft thing looks pretty cool. Um, hey, let's put a book together. Just woke up in the morning one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, how did this all come about? What what's what was the impetus to get it going and uh, kind of the process? Because, you know, I had uh, I don't know if you know Wes Fryer. He's a um, he's an educator that goes around and, and speaks around the country about digital creation for students. And I met him a few years ago and got him, basically got him into the idea of playing Minecraft with his kids, mm -hmm. and which turned out to be a very positive experience for him, spending more time and quality time with his kids. He's like, you need to write a book about this. And then a year later, you know, you come to me and say, hey, uh, I'm putting a book together on Minecraft. Uh, so, so how did this, you know, there are people out there that have done this, but I don't think anybody's done it to the extent that you have. So what's the impetus? How, um, what was the purpose, the whole goal of putting this together? Well, I can say that for me, Joel Levin was my pusher, and uh, he was the first one that introduced it to me. Anybody that can present with a foam hammer um, <laughs> from one of their video games, like, I, I just wanted to know more about that. So that was long ago. That's where I first ran into Minecraft as a gamer. Um... You know, when it came to the book idea, the book piece about it, and there are some good pieces out there. I think Colin Gallagher just put out a nice uh, little book. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but it sounds like it's wonderful, and the table of contents looks good. He's a pretty um, sharp guy. Yeah, so there's some there's some nice pieces out there, and there's going to be more. Um, you know, I think for me it really started, if I had to nail it down, it was kind of a moment because I'm always looking for, you know, what what is creating teachers to innovate and do new things? And I came home from work one day, and my kids were in the dining room after their school day was done. And usually after their school day is done, they get a little bit of gaming time. So you, it's pretty hard to pull them away from the computer during that time because that's kind of their, their gaming moment. And instead of gaming, they were down at the dining room table with you know papers spread out all over the table, and they'd gone through my graphing paper, which a little piece of me was upset because that's my graphic paper. Um, <laughs> But they, you know, they use it, and they're like, Dad, we'll, we'll get more graphing paper. Don't worry about it. I'm like, oh, I'm not worried about it, but I am kind of curious what you're up to here because they had drawn out on a, on a you know, a, a five-by-five-foot kind of square dining room table. They'd drawn out this massive and elaborate city plan. They were going to build their own, like, elven city. And, you know, the first thought that came to my head after the graph paper thing was – just thinking what kind of video game would send a kid back to a table to do this problem-solving, planning, negotiating thing. And they were really into it. They were lean-forward, furrowed-browed, uh, intense, the kind of activity that I love to see when I was a classroom teacher. Like, that's what I want when we do a project. I want that intensity. And they were really intense about it. And this city plan they had was almost a three- to four-week building project for them. They involved three or four of their cousins. They had a couple buddies from other states that were getting on with them. So there's a team of about eight, nine of them, uh, you know, which from us MMO players, we'd call that a little mini guild. Um, and they were building out this just gorgeous city. And But it all started with the plan. And for me, it's that intention moving towards delivery on a product that's so exciting. So, you know, th that's what got me starting to ask people like you, Zach, like, what are you doing with Minecraft, and why is that interesting to you as a teacher? I can see what's going on with my kids at home, but as a teacher, how does that connect to some of those, you know, 
the test fixation we have as a nation right now generally pushes people away from things like this. But Minecraft's kind of overcoming that, and for what I thought was nine or ten, I found out is actually more like a few thousand teachers across the planet right now that are looking at Minecraft as a core part of their toolbox when they want to deliver content. So that's what got me started. Um, I just wanted to know what game would so quickly send players off into the planning mode. Um, and then I just started to meet people like you, Danelle Batty, um, you know, uh, um, Joel Levin, we talked to him again, Eric Walker, Stephen Elford, just this collection of just these amazing people doing some really stunning work with Minecraft that were the kind of classrooms I'd want to be in as a little ADHD kid. Like, that's the room I want to be in, is where we're doing that kind of design and problem solving, um, where I can do anything I want to build and answer questions and solve problems in the class. I, I guess I'm selfish, too, because it's not only the classroom, you know, that the kids want to be in, but, yeah, I want to be in there, too, as a teacher, mm -hmm. because it's just so much fun watching that happen. What do you think's the magic for Minecraft? Um, I think the magic isn't Minecraft. I think the magic is when you have an open space to create, the tool itself is kind of not the same thing as the imagination. And Minecraft simply connects with the imagination because it doesn't dictate what you have to do when you're in the space. Um, it's, it, it's, for those that aren't familiar with Minecraft, it, it's, it's an entire world of blocks. You can pick any block up and put it down anywhere you want. And that alone makes it, you know, I, I think, you know, in the, I, the book I compare it to a piece of paper. The paper isn't exciting. It's what kids do with a piece of paper when you hand them a box of crayons. And with Minecraft, there's no crayons. It's just your imagination. It's a raw nervous system connection to um, a digital space where you can make anything you want. And anytime you have something like that, a teacher can use it. So could a teacher use a, a blank slate? Can they use a piece of paper? Can they use a giant whiteboard? Yes, teachers know how to use a tool that allows you to do anything you want, especially in a creative space. So the connection, when I got into the project and started talking to teachers, once I kind of saw that, that it's not Minecraft, it's just, it's a blank slate. It's ready to do whatever you want. It's a canvas that you can paint on, um, so to speak, that's so easy to use that anybody can pick it up in about five to ten minutes. If you know how to use arrow keys, you know, and a space bar. You can yeah. figure this game out. And that, so low, 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 low resistance to learning, these limited servers, I, you know, I think you and I talked about this before, that the future of educational gaming isn't massive multiplayer on games, it's these limited multiplayer games, mm -hmm. where I can have a group of 30 students that have their own world. And it is so easy to set that up, and, and uh, Minecraft EDU makes it even easier, it's just a few button clicks away, that it's it's one of those things that answers all that, you know, the the weird fear that some predators out trying to get into your fifth grade class project, um, it, it's gone because they can't get in. It's a, it's a limited kind of server space that's that you can set up for each of your classes fairly easily. So I think that's the magic. It's easy, it's fun, and and really it, the only limit is is your imagination, which sounds really cliche. I get it. Um, but that's that's what it is. It's as exciting as a piece of paper. And either you see that or you think I'm talking crazy right now. <laughs> and that and that's you know it's is it okay for my classroom? Yes. You know, would my wife use it who teaches first grade? 
No. I mean, it's not It's not in her tool set. It's not something she does. She has other magical moments. <laughs> I'm very biased because she's an amazing teacher. Um, so, you know, is it for everybody? No. But I love how you start this out because uh, in the book, in table of contents here, just looking at this, you know, first of all, you start off with why games? So, you know, that makes sense. You Because th you wanted this book to be for any teacher, right, at any level. So you started off with why games. And can you kind of give a brief synopsis? <laughs> There's really no brief synopsis of that, you know, of why games. But, you know, for somebody no, that's listening. It's a free PDF, so you can just go read that if, <laughs> if I get too windy in my synopsis. Yeah. Um, you know, I really thought that it, this, the book's not as much about Minecraft as it is about the teachers, I, and that's always kind of been my background. I want to know how teachers come to do things in their classroom. So uh, that idea is really important. So Minecraft is simply kind of a, a lens to look through because you've got a brand new product that's hit it so fast. When I talk to teachers about how did you hear about it, how did you learn about it, what did you do about it, it's all fresh in their memory. And my past studies, I'm talking, you know, they're telling me 15 years of their teaching career and I'm getting that big narrative. But with Minecraft, we're talking about a one, two-year memory kind of thing. So... I'm getting kind of real close to that process of how these teachers made the decision to use a game in their classroom. So I wanted to start off a lot more broadly than why Minecraft, which is chapter two, but why games in general. I also think there's some sloppy talk going on around games in classrooms. I don't think that all games are for everybody, and I think that's where you were going, right, Zach? Yeah. That it, when we go to a teacher population and say Assassin's Creed is one of the top ten historical games, which was in your news piece right there, right? Well, the teacher looks at that and says, yeah, but it's not worth my time to fight that fight with my PTA. I'm not, <laughs> not going to go in and say, well, this is a problem-solving space, therefore I want to use it with my middle schoolers. Teachers are a little more practical than that, and they have, they have a political world where they, whatever products they use have to be something that they're not going to expire political chips trying to argue for them, right? So on the other hand, if Ubisoft would get smart and release Ancient Rome for $2, I think they would make a killing. It's resources they've already built. Just take out the bloody slaying and just have a have ancient Rome and Venice and Milan and let us just walk around those towns and give us that blank slate to walk around in. So there's outstanding historically rooted spaces out there, but they're kind of cluttered up because they're entertainment devices, right? So And they're designed for 45 hours of gameplay, right? <laughs> yeah. So a teacher looks at that and says, no, 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 I need 45 minutes. I, I want to do a class period on this. I, I can't afford five weeks of playtime to get the real rich experience out of it. So Minecraft works in both ways. It can be a 45-minute lesson if you're you know, looking at how cells heat up and you want all your kids to run around inside a jail cell and then you let them loose and they, they scatter and you go, look, that's just how atoms work. Um, or if you want to have them run through a, a, a digestive system you're, you've built, you can do that in 45 minutes. So why games? I think that if we're going to advocate games for the classroom, I think it's important, and in the chapter I call it good kung fu, that we have balance and we keep our head about us a little bit. Are all games good for learning? I agree, yes, they are. Are all games good for your classroom? No, you need to have discernment and judgment, and there has to be a process where a teacher makes a judgment call about a game for their classroom. So I advocate that like part of being a great teacher today is having a great baloney detector and knowing how to filter you know, hype 
from something that's going to be a practical working product in their classroom. And the, the key way they figure that out is by watching students and doing experimentation kinds of things. And so that's kind of where the rest of the book kind of spends its time is looking at those kinds of issues. Yes, as my daughter is peeking in. <laughs> no. Is she a Minecraft fan? What's my, uh, yeah, she is, totally. Right. Uh, yeah, are you a Minecraft fan? She's looking at me like, duh. <laughs> duh, totally. Like so, you know, that's the, that's the thing I think that keeps this going, especially for Minecraft, is that the kids enjoy it. Uh, but I think more teachers are using it. More teachers are sharing their ideas, and that kind of gets into the playful learning, which is something we're involved in. Uh, mm -hmm. Being able to have uh, resources, and Minecraft EDU does that also, sharing lessons and how to use that within the classroom. Um, the more resources that are there to see that you could use it in a 45-minute classroom or you could, you could use it over two weeks' time, that you're covering a lot of bases, but the, the simplicity, making it simple for teachers is the important aspect of that. Yeah. And so this book helps with that, right? So I'm a, brain, I'm, a, I'm a newer teacher or I'm a teacher that is interested in using this, uh, using Minecraft, okay? I guess give me the, the short spin of, of why, how would this book help that teacher? Oh, I'm at, well, the first two chapters, why games and why Minecraft, give you some, like, here's how you explain it to your principal or to your parents or even to your students. Like, it gives you kind of some basic logic to kind of say, this is why we're going to do this in the classroom. And then I got an undergrad here at OU named Mike Cisneros, who walked me through playing Minecraft for the, and, and I, and he was so patient with me and so wonderful. I was like, can we try to recreate that as like a Q&A? Because he was amazing. So um, chapter three is really like, is a single chapter where it'll take you through your first hour of gameplay. Step by step, press this, here's the picture. Um, and, and teachers then, new to this, that's what they need. That's what right. they want. Well, and the other piece is later on, chapters four, five, and six are kind of the research project around those teachers that we talked about. And, um, you know, one of the interesting things, kind of one of the surprising things, is that the chief enabler for teachers to use Minecraft in their classroom was getting past that first hour of gameplay. If they tried it, all but one of the teachers, you know, they weren't expert gamers, right? Some of them were, like you. But a good number of them hadn't ever used a computer game in the classroom before, but the kids were so excited, like your daughter, about Minecraft, they had to do it. So they knew that Minecraft was something they wanted to use, they saw the potential, they watched over kids' shoulders, but at some point, for all but one of the teachers, they had to go home and try it themselves. So the book has a chapter to help you do that. Um, and then later on, uh, Jeff Kuhn helped me with a chapter for the expert gamers, that want to go right into doing their own servers, their own mods, and some of the higher-end third-party, you know, applications. So there's a little intro to those tools towards the end of the book, too. And I, I put together a version of the book, and I'll admit it, I pulled out the chapter that's, here's all the great ideas, which is Chapter 7. Like, here's what teachers are doing with Minecraft. And I pulled it out and showed it to a couple people, and, like, and their gut reaction was, how do you write this book and not tell us what all these teachers did? <laughs> Probably the, my favorite chapter in the book is chapter 7 because I go through and we cover all the major subject areas. Here's an idea or two for every one of them. And I, but I think even if you're a social studies teacher, reading what the science teachers are doing is pretty 
most teachers can kind of transfer that to their own classroom. Yeah. And if I can see a collection of great ideas, I don't need the step-by-step -step paper lesson plan. Just show me the great ideas, and as an intelligent teacher, I can figure out how to use that myself. So we, we've stocked the book. We, we kind of get them in most of them into Chapter 7, but we pepper them throughout the book, just these examples of how teachers are using Minecraft. And that's, for me, as a constructivist teacher, I, I love creating a problem. Here's, what you, here's our goal. I don't know how you're going to do it, but use Minecraft to do that. So, you know, for me, Egypt, the last unit that I used this in, was create an authentic Egyptian village along the Nile River. And they just went, they went at it. You got right. researchers, you got kids looking up pictures, they're getting information. Oh, we got to build canals. What kind of crops are we we're putting here? How are they going to keep the animals in? Oh, we need to build a wall around our village. Well, what are, the, what are our homes look like? Well, their homes are really not really homes. They're kind of like apartments. And why are they two levels? And they start getting into this. It's just, I just sit back. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm soaking it all in. And it's just awesome. Well, it's as a teacher, you just kind of say things like, we could look that up. Yes. Where do you think you might find that information? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it just brings you right to it. Uh, so many teachers that use Minecraft in the classroom do what you're talking about, um, w which is what I would call watching. They kind of sit back and watch their classes, but it's not passive teaching. It's, it's far from passivity, right? They're actually looking for those openings when a kid yes. asks a question like that, and they can just hop in and say, let's follow through on that. And what you're teaching kids is that when you have a great idea, you follow through on it. And you, I mean, as this core idea, and, and that learning can be part of the fun of what you're doing. Uh, and don't, do and don't well. spoon feed. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to give them the answers. As much as I want to help them, they really need to figure it out on their own. And sometimes that's failure. I mean, yeah. one of my classes this past uh, Egyptian unit, uh, one of the hours, they really messed up. <laughs> they, they started the whole thing, and it just it was horrible. And they came to me and said, Mr. Gilbert, can we just wipe this and just start over? I was yeah. like, yeah, let's do it. Right. And in fact, they wiped it out, and they passed up the other two classes uh, because they figured out what they did wrong. So they learned, which is wonderful, which is wonderful. Uh how does Dr. Constance Seincooler says games are, it's something like this, forgive me Constance if I'm paraphrasing you on, but games are, um, uh, have clearly ill-defined problems with clearly defined constraints. <laughs> something to that effect. Like make an Egyptian village is very clear. How you go about doing that, yeah. I think sometimes that kind of constructive model, constructivist model of teaching goes the opposite direction. Instead of preparing the step-by-step -step guide for an assignment, you provide the problem, right. and the kids have to think to figure out how to solve They have to create their own steps. And that's the opposite of instructional design. That's learning design. Yeah. And it's real different. I found both kinds of teachers, and I, that was one of the real, you know, one of the surprises in the research. I always try to think, what's, what's in the data here that surprised me? One of the things that surprised me is, the constructivist teachers, when they use Minecraft, often added some structure as they went through each iteration. And there were other teachers that like went into Minecraft themselves at home and designed things to show their students. Yeah. And they slowly crept towards open student production, which makes I, me think that after two, three years, we might see that there's kind of an ideal use somewhere in the middle. But there were both kinds of teachers. And, and again, with paper doesn't tell you what your pedagogical approach is. Um, right. so if it's really an open tool, you should see 
all kinds of teachers using that tool effectively. You know, in, in Minecraft EDUs, people already have pre-built worlds. I, I see a lot of people that have that, and they want them to go step by step, and that is totally not me. I, I, I can't... I can't do that. The only thing I did on this last Egyptian unit was I found a seed, a code, that actually had a desert and a river together. So a, a river running through the desert, which, you know, but now that I'm looking back at it, I'm like, why couldn't I have the students search for that or have the students even create it or figure out how to create it? Sometimes yeah. the time constraints, you know, are limiting. But, you know, that's where, you know, this, this chapter six, that's where I test out a lot of things. And that's the after-school game clubs, which I was able to work with you on, which is wonderful. And that's my testing ground. Um, I love having the kids, giving them problems during that that time, having problem solve, and then have them teach their peers within the classroom the new things that they that they've learned within game club. And yeah. that's that to me is that's what I use game club for a lot but in the beginning it was it was testing out games so my administrator could actually see hey you know what this is pretty good maybe yeah. we can use this in the classroom I have uh, well first of all it's hard to talk about pre-built worlds without mentioning uh, Eric Walker's world so if on page 98 I got a little shot of his uh, his server but he's built all these ancient worlds that that's the humanities build. yeah world of humanity yeah. wonderful world of humanities I have that which oh, is amazing wow. I'm so impressed with, with that kind of a project. It's, it's really stunning. Those experimentation spaces are things that I'd, I like to call Petri dishes because a good scientist doesn't use one Petri dish at a time. They have hundreds, right, where they've right. tested every different variable. Great teachers have one or two or three or four Petri dishes where they test out good ideas. The after-school club is one. Uh, we ran into teachers that did, like, these lunch break sessions with their students. Do you ever do that? No where instead of letting the kids go off to lunch on their own, you kind of work it out with the administration that these kids can kind of come to my classroom during lunch and they can kind of hang out and do their thing. And there's teachers that kind of use that as a testing ground for new lesson plan ideas. So they'll just kind of run it by the kids. Um, another testing ground is like um, uh, advisories. So in a lot of middle schools, they have that morning 10 minutes of the exploratory period or advisory period. Some teachers not knowing what to do at that time go, I'm going to try out mini lessons on you every, once or twice a week. You're my guinea pigs. We're going to break a few eggs to make an omelet, you know, and they use that space. Um, and some of them just do it at home alone. They kind of try things out on their computer, and they're, they're kind of veteran enough teachers to where they get a good gut sense of what might work and what won't. But they'll test it out with their kids at home first. Yeah. Or they'll test it out on their spouse. Um, and, and I would call all of those kind of a, a, an experimentation or a Petri dish kind of setting. And it's, it's a common step because it's one thing to think an idea is a good idea, but before you try it in your regular class period, yeah. there's this Petri dish period where you kind of experiment with ideas and try them out. Um, and for me, I guess, that's I'm really interested in what that looks like because it's a really robust time for teacher creativity. And you're a little freer. You have um, – it's a little um, – I don't know. It's just more of a relaxed time. To try right. things out, and kids aren't as—they're not as afraid to make mistakes in that time. I try to, you know, press upon them that you know making mistakes is okay in classroom, but it's just easier for them. They're you know trained that way, you know, and understanding, uh, conditioned that way. But having um, having them try it out 
uh, is I had another thought, Sean, and I can't remember. But you know, having to try it out is 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 a great experiment, um, which I thoroughly enjoy, and the kids thoroughly enjoy, and I love having them present that to the rest of the class because they take ownership of it. Which and is I wonderful. love failure. I, I love the stories where you have these great teachers that when the when things go wrong they kind of just panic with the students and the students are saying this isn't broken it's not working the teacher goes ah what are we gonna do about this yeah. and I, I think of Peggy Sheehy where she had that big pile of boxes in the back of the room and she's like I don't know what to do with all these computers how are we gonna ever figure this out and she had these elementary kids kinda setting up her computers and her networks and everything else um, there's a certain kinda that that idea to be playful with your failure and to really enjoy it. And if you're if you're trying out a new piece of software for the first time, and you're you're under a time limit and you got to make it effective for all your classes, boy, the first time to try something like that out isn't is going to be in like a summer community ed class or something where there, like you said, there's just so much less pressure there to do that. And you're not going to lose kids. That's that's the point I was trying, wanting to make, is that, you know, you have some kids that are willing to experiment during the class time. You have some that are, you're going to lose. If you experiment, it doesn't go well, and they'll get frustrated, and you right. don't want that to happen. It's a, it's a small group, but it's it's large enough that you don't, you just don't want to mess with it. You yeah. do need to practice it out. Yeah. So when teachers say, how do I use Minecraft in the classroom, I say you don't. That's not where you start. You use it at home. Yeah. <laughs> you find a kid that plays because there's millions of them, and you have that kid just walk you through it during your prep hour, and then percolate on it for a semester. Just think, and and until that idea comes by, another great way instead of you using Minecraft in the classroom as a teacher, just go to your students. And th these and, and these are these are things that came out of the research. These are stories that teachers would tell. They would just go to students and, and say, "Hey, if you want to build this in Minecraft and show me a screenshot as your assignment, I think I'm going to accept that work this this time through." Yeah. Or you can come in with a you know a walkthrough. If you can bring a laptop in and plug it into the projector, you can do a walkthrough of what you built for the class. So instead of building pyri pyramids out of sugar cubes, which by the way still happens. Um, Build it in Minecraft and let us go inside the yeah. tomb, you know, and, and do that sort of thing. So, you know, I think it's it's wrong. To th I think there's a developmental process there that we need to respect as advocates of games and learning. That the first time you use a game for learning isn't necessarily going to be the show. You need to practice a little bit and practice kind of makes so you're better at failing. <laughs> the the one thing I want to add too is that uh, one of the teachers on my team, Mrs. Mitchell who's a phenomenal math teacher, uh, she has seen the use of Minecraft in my classroom for a while now, and she, you know, she wants to try new things, but, you know, technology's not one of her strongest suits. She's really, she's gotten a lot better, so hopefully, sorry, Mrs. Mitchell, but she, in Scope Magazine, the Mathematics Magazine, they actually had math problems using Minecraft, and so, you know, I didn't pressure them to, you know, the teachers on my team saying, you need to use Minecraft, you need to use it. Have them see it. And other teachers are asking about it. But she, I set up a server for her in her classroom, and she uh, uh, she did the math problems. The kids did the math problems. And she just kind of sat back and watched. And she loved it. It was so much fun for her. And the kids yeah. had a blast. So it's it's giving the environment, you know, as, as a games and, and learning teacher, and there's a lot of us out there, just having the environment there, having the kids enjoy it, uh, being available for other teachers to see what you've done, 
and helping them along will actually spread what we firmly believe that games and learning is a is a great tool for the classroom. Yeah, I totally agree. Jerry's got it on the uh, a digestive system, <laughs> um, <laughs> which that's that was off of Reddit.com. That's one of my favorite images because you don't think of Minecraft as like a 3D modeling space necessarily, um, and this particular um, digestive system, I think this is the one that had a like a railroad car going through it. So you get, you get to travel through the system as a piece of food and later turn into a piece of something else. Um, and, uh, you know, I see things like this, and I think, you know, that's even for teachers like your friend, just seeing things like this yeah. it doesn't take a, a, a digestive scientist to figure out that this is a great way to show science to kids. Oh, yeah. Um, and to have them build it is just another one. Uh, if he keeps scrolling to page 105, he'll see... Uh, He'll see a recreation of uh, Colonial Philadelphia, uh, another one of the images I really enjoy. That diamond is sword, by the way, very impressive. That you're just awesome. Um, that's commonly carried around Philadelphia. Yeah, diamond swords and whatnot. Yeah. Um, the Highlander were they in? I don't think they ever went to Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, and I don't think Philadelphia had a big castle in the bay. <laughs> no. <laughs> so that's where you can kind of teach kids a little bit that maybe you know there you know there's some things here that are historical and clearly that's Independence Hall. Um, clearly, there's a boat in the bay that looks timely, but I don't know about the medieval castle. <laughs> well, I definitely think this is something that you know we'll share in the notes. We'll share the the book. Uh, we'll tweet it out. We'll put it in Google. We'll put it on Facebook, and we'll get it out there. So, because I wasn't even sure, as we were talking beforehand, I wasn't sure is is this free? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is free. You know what I like about Drew Davidson at Carnegie Mellon? They operate uh, ETC Press, which is publishing. They have twenty, thirty books out now, and they really have a firm belief that the cost of copy paste for a PDF is no, it's nothing. So they charge the appropriate amount for a PDF, and, and they give you these rich, full-image, full-color PDFs, and the irony of it is that as they promote digital products, they actually, there's people that still want the paper copy, and they sell enough of the paper copies to pay for the production of the book, and um, it makes it so that distribution can go to the thousands of people. So on the, we did a book on augmented reality games that's been downloaded over 30,000 times. And that's just, I mean, that puts you on the New York Times bestseller list if it's print copy. So for teachers, we just want this in their hands. So it, it, it's a product that's meant to be used by teachers. We got the price point even on the published copy book where really we don't make any money. We just cover the expense of the artist and, you know, some of the work, the work that ETC did. Um, but, yeah, get this out to all of your teachers. It's, a, it's any book on ETC Press, if you go to the Press website and look for the link, They've got a free PDF that you can just give, and that's entirely for educators. We know that you're broke, and we know that your schools don't give you a lot of PD money, So if we, but we still want to put great ideas from other teachers into your lap and let you look at them. So if you don't mind looking at it on a laptop um, instead of a printed book, we can get you, the, we can get you a copy-paste for free. So yes, the link I gave you is it is a free book. And I, we're going to leave it that way. So that's a credit to Drew Davidson's vision for how to do publishing. Um, and unless we decide to send it to the copy machine within our school. Well, well no, I'm, I'm joking. I don't, need to know I don't about want to that, give you ideas. 
Yeah, it's 150 pages to copy, so you actually probably, you might even pay more if you have like a fee on your copy machine to do that. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be a good idea. Would not be a good idea. But I'm definitely sending this out. I've already sent it out to a few people, but I wasn't sure about the, the cost thing. I was just like, whoa. So it, it's, now, it's going on Amazon too, right? Yeah, it's going to be about 15 bucks on Amazon. Okay. Again, that's just pretty much covering the expenses of it. Okay. There you go. Well, very cool. Jerry, you've been too talkative tonight. <laughs> I was just letting you guys go at it. Yeah. Uh, pretty cool. Yeah, it's great stuff. It's amazing. Uh, I know you're going to send this out because you're a good guy, right, Jerry? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, we got to get this out. And I think it's it's just a, a, a great tool. I just want to thank you, Sean, for, um, you know, letting me be a part of this, number one. But uh, the biggest, well, actually, number two, number one, putting this together because I think this is really going to help out a lot of educators. And I think we're going to buy, I think we're going to pass the 30000 on that other book of yours. Well, if you can get people over the top on Kickstarter, you you probably can do pretty well on that one. Yeah, let's. Yeah. Hey, Jerry, what's the update <laughs> on Kickstarter? Uh, it's easily another dollar or two more. <laughs> I think I think I put one on there. Yeah. And Zach, you well, hinted I would end at this too. I really feel like I'm more of a curator than an originator. I, I don't think there's an original idea in this book for me. It really, and I didn't mention all of the names of the people involved. But I think we really got a representation from some of the most active teachers using Minecraft that are they're running online communities, they're running um, you know uh, blogs and whatnot. And so it, it's really an honor and a privilege for me to be able to do it. And I hope I told their stories fairly well and conveyed it because I think that's the biggest part about putting a book like this together is you just want to represent the community. And that was the goal here is to show that this community is a community of learners. These are brilliant teachers doing great work, and I just uh, hopefully it's a it, it's as good as you make it sound, um, <laughs> and it and it does that work, and and that and that that way when we have the next big game come out and we do another project like this, yeah, uh, teachers will feel like these are community efforts to come together and put ideas like this on the table. Definitely, definitely, and it's it's like I, I I'm just I'm very excited that this is going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be an impetus for a lot of teachers out there to get get in the game. Get so, in the game. get in the game. Okay, thank you for listening to this week's Ed Gamer podcast. Please follow us on EdReach.us. Actually, hold on, Jerry. It's not EdReach.us, is it? It's Ed Gamer. Ed Gamer. EdReach.us. Right, and also follow all the great podcasts and blog posts on the EdReach Network. Blog. Have a great week. <laughs>